Hi, folks. Steve Urban here, founder and CEO at recruiting firm RiderFlex. If you enjoyed today's guest interview, please give it a like and be sure to subscribe to the RiderFlex podcast. And now, a quick word from our sponsor. Try the number one marketing platform for small business. Everything you need from design to marketing to CRM. Learn more at marketing360.com. Marketing 360, fuel your brand. And uh, Cliff, it's so good to have you back on the Rider Flex podcast. You were one of the original guests back when we were only doing audio. And it was, what, four years ago, maybe, uh, you know, and uh, gosh, the podcast has come so far since then. So I'm so glad you're back on uh, and doing a video. Thank you for your time. Appreciate it. I'm delighted to be here. I look better on audio. Hey, you look pretty good, man. Uh, for your age, I mean, hey, for my, uh, for my you're, uh, you're uh, what are you, 56, 57? I know you want me to share that with the audience. <laughs> 35. <laughs> you're not, I mean, you look at your hair, you got a full head of hair, you got a hardly no gray in there. If you grow, if you grow out your, your stubble, is there a little gray in there now? Yes, and uh, not a little. <laughs> Quite a bit. <laughs> Man, you're in great shape for your age. I you know uh, for the listeners, we just did a little camping trip together, and uh, man, you're in good shape for your age. You're uh, you're doing a good job with your your exercise. Your, you eat right, uh, probably way better than the average fifty six year old. Fifty seven. Yeah, yeah, way better than the average fifty seven year old. Uh, that's what I want my doctor to tell me. Right when I go in, I, I, I'm kind of like, look can you just tell me that I'm slightly better than the average? Like I'm, I'm better than the average guy my age. And if that's the case, then I feel somewhat victorious. Well, there's no doubt that you are, you yeah. know, there's uh, so I'm not, I'm not, I'm not in the perfect health because uh, I eat, I don't eat as good as you. Uh, but uh, yeah, that it could be worse. It could be worse. Um, this is the, this, you know, eating is the American bugaboo, right? We have been, we have made it so easy for people to eat like hell that it's just it's just really really hard um, to to wade through all the messaging and to get through the grocery store without without being affected by, uh, by the environment. It it really it's so true, right? What is it? Forty percent, forty two percent of Americans are, are are obese. I think something. I mean, it's a crazy stat, a crazy yeah. stat. Uh, and then if you go to certain states, you know, like where I'm from, Oklahoma, where I grew up, I mean, it's it's way worse than that. And uh, yeah, it's uh, it's amazing. We could do a whole podcast episode on on diet and food and all of it. <laughs> I'm not. You'll need someone other than me to talk about that. There is a there is a um, fairly well-established tie, though, between uh, stress and um, and putting on weight. Mm. And um, as the and, and I'll screw this up because I'm not a scientist, but my understanding of the sort of biomechanical the mechanisms of that is that stress kicks your body into this flight or fight stage. I see which is really appropriate when you're being chased by a lion or a saber toothed tiger. But, but those things, you know, those moments happen and then they go away and your body goes into a kind of a settled de-stressed state. But in today's culture, we're just on all the time. 
We're stressed socially. We're stressed about work. Um, you know, work can be 24 seven, certainly for entrepreneurs like us, we tend to think about it a little bit too much. And that constant stress um, triggers your body to prepare to run like hell or to fight. And um, the body needs energy to do that. So it surges uh, glucose into the blood so the muscles can act because you're going to save your life. And then the response to that surge of glucose is insulin. Mm. And insulin is the hormone that, among many other things, tells your body store energy. So you have this stress event that really doesn't result in you running anywhere. So you don't consume all that sugar in your blood. Glucose, I mean, insulin comes in to kind of sweep it up. But in the process of doing that, it says it, insulin informs the body, store it. Mm. And that response um, can lead to weight gain. But then you stack on top of that uh, the eating that goes with the stress. Mm. And then you stack on top of that the sedentary life that that many of us lead and it just starts to pile up yeah 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 no no doubt i mean you obviously uh know what you're doing because you're staying in pretty good shape uh for your size how tall are you um six four six four yeah six four um tell me about uh your 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 mom and dad a little bit i want to talk about your family i know we talked about that maybe a little bit before but can you just share with the listeners? I mean, you got a pretty fascinating story. Uh, give the mom dad story, maybe how they met, what they did for a living. Your your, uh, your sister. Just talk about some family stuff, if you don't mind. Sure. I mean, I grew up in I grew up as a diplomat's kid. Uh, my my father's career was with the U.S. State Department. Okay. Most of my younger childhood was bouncing around Southeast Asian countries. And, uh, and I actually think that there's a there's a direct connection between um, this company that I started in the massage chair space and all that experience in Asia, because all the massage chair companies, all the factories are there. Massage chairs originally came out of Asia, specifically Japan. And uh, and, and so I, sort of, I think I felt comfortable in that space. Um, my mother is. Chinese. So my father's Caucasian, my mother's um, Chinese. And so, so uh, I'm, I'm half and half. Uh, half, is, half, half and half. And was your dad, was he uh, uh, Irish, Catholic, Jewish, uh, anything? So, yeah. So he was of Eastern European Jewish descent. Okay. And, okay. and my sister's, my sister's joke about us is, is, you know, the combination of the Chinese side and the Jewish side is like that we are both chop suey Jewies. That's her. <laughs> she made that up at some point along the way. Oh, that's good. That's good. How did how did they meet? Your mom and dad. Oh, that's a mystery mystery to everybody. Uh, they actually met in the states, uh, but they were connected through um, through my father's friends, and but it is a little bit of a mystery, precisely how they met. Okay, all right. And you had one sister. Yes, one sister. She lives, right. in, she lives in Minnesota now. She's a vet. Doing She's a vet. Okay. Different than I am. Yeah. Oh, yeah. you know what? Okay. Now I know you're a dog lover. You're an animal lover. So that kind of ties to your sister a little bit. I, I kind of forgot that she was a vet. Your uh, mom's yeah, still I, alive? I, in fact, I had a great time with Ryder up in the mountains. <laughs> 
Yeah, for the listeners, Cliff's talking about Ryder, my dog Ryder, named after Ryder Flex, the recruiting firm. Yeah, he's uh, he's he's something. Uh, your mom's still alive, right? She is. My my father passed away almost six years ago at this point, but she's still alive. She's ninety two and and um, kicking ass and taking names. She's she's really um, she's really amazing and and very uh, vivacious and doesn't act uh, a bit over sixty. That's pretty amazing. And, and her thoughts and her memory, everything be everything good. Like like up upstairs mentally, she's still sharp as a tack. Yeah, she's uh she has a she's always had an amazing memory. She has a better memory than I do, and that continues to be the case, which is a little bit um kind of annoying to me. But it, yeah, she's fine. <laughs> I worry about myself, but she's fine. Yeah. You know, if you live to ninety two, like I mean, that's a pretty good run, right? I mean, it's a good run. That's a good run. That's, Your a, dad, that's her take too. You know, I've had a good run. Yeah. Um, were you clo- were you super close to your dad or closer to your mom? I think I was, uh, I would say that I was close to both of my parents. You were close to both. Yeah. But, but you also, but I would also add that, you know, it depends on what context we're talking about because mm-hmm. you know, parents of young kids today um, parenting has changed and transformed over the years. Big time. The, the nature of relationships that I see many parents have today with their kids, mm-hmm. I didn't see any parents having with, um, you know, my peers. It just is a different, different time. Mm-hmm. Um, one isn't necessarily better than the other approach. Uh, but I, I do think friends, uh, uh, parents tend to be a little bit more friendly with kids today. <laughs> yeah, that's a good word. That's a good right. word. Friendly. Because your dad was probably born in the 30s, I'm guessing. Yes. Somewhere in there. Yeah. 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 Exactly. yeah. yeah. Guys that you know, the men that were born in the 30s, I mean, they they they're, you know, that's a different breed, man. <laughs> <It's>... <laughs> and, and, and I think and, and every generation has trouble understanding generations that are two or three generations younger than they are, yes. and vice versa. Um but I think that's that's normal. When, you know. your, was your dad? Um, I'm, was he softy like hugs, kisses? I love you. I'm proud of you every day. Or those were those were rare. They were they they were um, they were not absent, but it wasn't every day. So I would yeah. say they were, they were they were appropriate. I didn't feel like I missed anything there. You didn't feel like you missed anything. Okay, very good. Now. Um, you were t- you're a tall guy, so you were athletic in high school, right? So you know, sports was always a thing for you. Was that always a big, huge part of your life in high school and yeah. big thing for you early on? Yeah, that's the toughest part of getting a little older. You gotta you know hang up hang up the high tops. <laughs> but college was that your passion? Or I'm sorry, basketball was your passion? Yes, uh, it started as baseball when I was younger, but then. Oh. Because I was moving around so much, I, I got messed up between baseball seasons and, and I was moving schools. And I actually picked up basketball fairly far down the road. I was really well into junior high before I took it seriously at all. And, okay. and, and then I loved it from that point forward. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Were you always taller than, than the rest of the kids or did you sprout up like when you were junior in high school or something? Like when did that happen? Uh, I was, I was always on the, I was always on the tall side. Okay. Yeah. All right. Very good. And so yeah. you were good enough. You were good enough. You Go ahead. Yeah. In, 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 uh, in one elementary school, 
Actually, now that I think about it, typically I was the tallest kid in the class, except for that one year there was this guy named, for a couple of years actually, there was this guy named Doug McDonald, and he was taller than I was. And, and it took me a while to get used to that because I wasn't the tallest guy. Anymore. I'll never forget his name. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty good. Uh, you were good enough to play uh, play in college, so you played Division three, right? Uh, did you play all four years at Carleton? I did. Uh, yes, but you know, this we're talking about a small rural D three where yeah. where um, basketball that wasn't the main thing we were doing. Um, theoretically, we were supposed to have our noses buried in the books. Theoretically. And I will say most of my teammates took that more seriously than I did. So, uh, so you had a good time in school then. I mean, you you, you made you did good, had good grades, but you also you socially you had a good time. Well, I would I I'd stop short of saying I had good grades, uh, <laughs> but yes, I had fun. I learned to. Um, I did a lot of day drinking. I think back at college, there was a lot of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, I could have I could have balanced it out a little bit more with hitting the books a little harder. But I think I did most of my I, I liked college and I learned a lot of college. Uh, I also liked high school and I feel like I learned a lot in high school. Um, but nothing that I was studying academically directly influenced where I ended up in work. Interesting. You know, where I ended up in work is probably what influences a lot of people, which is I had to pay the rent. <laughs> and so I just started so I started working and I and I fell in love with those and I think you did too. I think your story is you just started working and you and you dove in and it was yep. just really thrilling. Yeah. And then you yep. and then you got you got a little bit of responsibility and that felt great. That was thrilling. And then you got a little more responsibility and then you got a like a manager title or something, and it was just really fun. Uh, yes, everything you just said, that's exactly what happened. Me and you very, very, very similar. Cause yeah, your major had nothing to do with where you ended up really not, not really, but yeah, you just start working and you start getting promoted and my life major, happens. My major was geology. I saw, I thought, saw that, <laughs> but, but I also don't want to imply that all the learning that happened academically isn't critical to what goes on after school. Right. I mean, I think part of the, um, I don't know if advantage is quite the right word, but part of what I brought to the work that I was doing was an interest always in, in trying to make it better. And, and, and when I was younger, and I'm sure this was true with you, um, you know, my bosses identified some interest in trying to make a difference. Mm-hmm. And, and, and the edu- and the schooling side of it for me um, feathers into to the communication, you know, how to communicate, how to speak clearly, how to write clearly. Yes. It's so critical to getting stuff done. Um, and, and uh, you know, people who say, well, you, you, you majored in English. How are you possibly going to make it in business? I would argue with that till the cows come home. If you majored in English and you know how to communicate and you have an interest in working hard, you can go places. Oh, I totally agree. Do you, you know, there's some people, uh, that are saying things like, oh, college doesn't matter anymore. You know, Google has the answers. You really don't need to go to school. What are your thoughts on that? Google doesn't teach you how to think. It just teaches you how to find little tidbits of information. It doesn't help you put them together. Mm-hmm. And, and I actually think this is this is part of the problem, right? We have so much information coming at us that if we don't engage our own gray matter resources, um, 
And, and if we aren't a little bit disciplined about how we engage them, you know, we, we follow some logic, we know a little bit about the world around us and how it works so that we can test ideas and understand if they're flaky or if they're appropriate and real. Um, all that stuff comes from, you know, school. It comes from, it comes from curiosity and, and diving into lots of different things. Um, so, I, I mean, I hate, I think one of our challenges is that as, as a society, maybe even as a world, is, is that we do just consume this information um, without a filter, mm. without putting it through like mm. a human, thoughtful, considered filter. Mm. Mm. Uh, that, that's a good point. That's a, that's a great point. Yeah, it just comes straight from Google right into the brain with no filter. You know, yeah. I, I tend to still agree, and I do hear people say things like college is not as important as it used to be, but man, there's just so many social skills, people skills, communication skills, writing, um, things that just happened during that three, four, or five-year period right there that really just help you develop a lot of soft skills that, that can come into play later in your career, so... I still think it's a, I, I still think it's a it's a great idea uh, I, to go. I will I I put money on um, uh, that at the highest levels of organizations, um, the, the leadership is weighted heavily toward higher education. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think probably the bigger the company gets, the more that's likely yeah. to be the case. Now, are they looking, is that because these companies are looking for a track record and they're looking to make sure that this person has this, you know, stamp on their resume that they got an education? Uh, possibly there's some of that at work, a formal education, I should say, because there are a lot of ways you can learn. Um, but I also think that, that maybe there's something about that um, process of going through school uh, that provide you with some tools that makes you more likely to rise through an organization, yeah. whatever it may be. Yeah. So you started moving through your career, you start moving up, you get into, you get into retail, you get into management, you start getting more responsibilities, you start getting promoted, you move through a couple of companies. Did you always have the entrepreneurial bug? I mean, was that, did you always think I'm going to start a business someday or Talk to me about how that transition happened. I'm curious, you know, you don't have to touch on every single job, but just kind of how, wh when did you get to the point where you're like, okay, this is great. I've moved up. I got more responsibility, but I want to start my own thing. How'd that happen? Well, the actual moment when I started my own thing was a little bit of just happen chance. It was, it was somewhat accidental, accidental, the, the, the stars aligned kind of situation. Okay. I think you probably hear that a lot. Like I didn't go out there and say, all right, I'm going to go out. I'm going to raise this money. I got this idea. I'm going to pursue it. It just kind of coalesced at, the, okay. at a point in my life. And that point in my life was one where I had done a few jobs before and I had positions of responsibility. And I was in a place where I was, I was ready to take a chance. Um, and I'm not sure I fully appreciated how big a chance I was taking uh, because I think if I did, it probably would have frozen me in place. And, and, yeah, and right. I think that's why a lot of people with the skills to become entrepreneurs don't be, become entrepreneurs because they're just more rational than people like me uh, and, and you, yeah. uh, right? So, so, so you have to have, be, look, if I listen to the advice of the people around me 
at the time that I was starting this. The people who loved me and cared about me, particularly my parents, they basically said, you are, you're going to start a massage chair company selling massage chairs to people who will spend thousands of dollars per unit to buy one of these things. You are crazy. <laughs> this is going to fail. That was basically the way they reflected their love for me. <laughs> but but it, it was a, it was an expression of concern, right? I mean, don't do that. Get, get, get a job with an established company. You know, I, right. And yeah. And, and your dad was a diplomat, right? Like he, you know, I mean, he was far from what you were far, about to do. Far, yeah. Far. Yeah. Right. Right. Did he want you to go into politics, by the way? Did he want you to do anything in government? Was that his goal for you? I think, let me just. So if I think about the things that he wanted me to be as my life progressed, I'd have to start with um, baseball pitcher, ideally for the Mets. I think <laughs> that was the first thing he wanted me, he wanted me to be. Uh, you know, at some point, um, he, uh, at some point, I think he wanted me to study history and maybe go, go the academic route. Okay. Um, at no point did he think that I should take a retail job. And <laughs> yeah. uh, but that's, that's what I did, you know? Uh, so you saw a moment there. So, so. There was something that happened. You were, I think you were president of Healthy Back, which sold beds and massage chairs and office chairs, right? And there was an opportunity for you to spin off and, and do your own thing. Like, so an opportunity kind of presented itself or you created the opportunity or a little it's bit a little, of both? It was, it was a little bit of both. It was a little bit of both. Uh, and, 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 and you, the experience at Healthy Back or the time at Healthy Back was really my exposure to the massage chair marketplace. Right, right. And it was through uh, my association with Healthy Bag that I got connected to the first supplier to Furniture for Life. Mm. And uh, through that connection, we were able to come up with a trading relationship that was that allowed me to really start from scratch and, and build the company up. Wow. Did you bootstrap? Uh, was it bootstrapped with your own money and some help from your parents? Or how did you talk to the aspiring entrepreneurs listening that, you know, they have ideas, but they don't know how to, they don't know how to fund it. How did you, did you have a little nest egg saved up? How'd you do it? I had, I had something of a nest egg. It was bootstrapped a little bit of money from friends. Okay. Um, actually at the beginning, no money from family. It was just, it was friends, but most of the support came from the supplier. Oh, you know, okay. All as right. long as we could get, as long as we could get payment terms on the product, um, we could start the organization because there was no, at the beginning, there was no payroll to speak of. It was just me running yeah. around like crazy. Yeah. Uh, and um, I, I, there's no way I could have kept that up for any longer than I did. Um, in, in those early, early years, every every single piece of business was critically important. It felt like to the survival of the company. Because <laughs> uh, you were yeah. you were a distributor. So what you did is you made a deal with with the manufacturer to say, hey, right. give me some payment terms on these chairs. Didn't have right. to pay them right away. You had a little cash of your own saved up, a little bit of cash from friends. Right. Okay. Okay. And you were like, I'm going to, and then you were just like, I'm going to have, a, I'm going to be a distribution company. Boom. Go for it. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And and because I had come from the retail environment, I also felt and I had dealt with a lot of 
the suppliers to retail companies. I see. I sort of felt like I had a sense of how to be a distributor that was friendly to I retail see. companies. I see. Because, okay. because there's a, there, as you know, because you sat in the same seat, uh, there was a tendency for retailers to need something and distributors to just, you know, not be able to speak the retail language. Mm. How many times, for example, right. did a distribution rep come and train a group of your people and they left and you went, well, that was totally useless. <laughs> right. That had nothing to do with what we're doing here. Yes, yeah. yes. No. Yes. Uh, yeah, that's true. You came from both sides. You you came from the retail side and then became a distributor. That's yeah, that was very helpful. So, OK, so then you start you start moving along. And um, at first, now, what was the company? What was the original company name? Fias Distribution? Yeah. Yeah. Fias okay. Distributors. OK. And, and then, and then yeah. at, some, at some point you were like, OK, I'm not going to just be a distributor. I'm going to start designing and, and manufacturing chairs, right? So now all this, so then you pivot and you go into building your own stuff, I guess. And why did you make that move? Well, we had, so this supplier that we had started with had become unreliable in a lot of ways. And I see. What I see. we didn't see was a, a healthy amount of product development. So it was really, really hard for me and others to, to see a future that was anything different than us just drilling ourselves into the ground. Mm. If we didn't kind of take the bull by the horns and start to do some innovation and some development ourselves. Mm -hmm. So, you know, at a great deal of expense and the resource of time, we went a different direction. We found designers. We started to develop our own chairs and create our own designs. And we knew a lot. I mean, I at that point I'd been in the massage chair space for, you know, well, approaching two decades. So I was pretty darn familiar with massage chairs, and, and I felt like I understood um, what people needed in massage chairs. And and so we took a swing at designs and and getting further upstream in the development process to the point where we were commissioning designers to create the look of the chair. We were directing factories on how to design the workings of the chair, the tangible, the hardware of the chair, where it massaged you, how it did that, what the mechanisms were. And then also went further and developed all the software that's loaded on the chair. And really so much people don't, Consumers don't necessarily get this, but so much of, of what makes a massage chair, what gives it its personality and what distinguishes it between a great massage chair and a also ran massage chair is the programming and the choreography. You know what? We've never talked about that before. And I, we've been friends for a long time. I haven't. Yeah, that's interesting. Wow. So you were you guys were heavily involved in all of that then. I didn't know that. Is that super secret patented? Software, I don't know. <laughs> well, we have some patents. Okay. Uh, the software side of it is, yeah, our, our, there's no, our approach um, is, involves consulting with experts. Yeah. No secret there. We're open about that. But, um, but here's the, here's the real secret of making uh, great massage choreography. Um a willingness to commit time and resources to it. Mm. And mm. I've found that other companies in the industry aren't interested in that or don't get that or are too impatient for that. 
Mm -hmm. And that's the secret. I just gave it away. So now anybody can pretty much. (laughs) If you're willing to to invest the time and the energy to perfect the feeling of a chair, you can build a pretty good massage chair. But I think we're pretty rare. Um, We, 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 uh, we say to people that the, we have the world's best massage chairs. Uh, we believe that inside our souls, in part because we put our blood, sweat, and tears into many of these products. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. And I know that that compared to the rest of the industry, our process is, is different, deeper, more intense. And so after pivoting from just being a distributor, and now all of a sudden you're a manufacturer, you're a designer, you're a furniture company, then at some point you make a, you make another move to rebrand to furniture for life. At some point you do a re, you go through a whole rebranding process, which is another risky and very difficult move. By the way, for the listeners, I just want to get this in here. Furniture for life. It's fflbrands.com. Oh, just furniture for life. Oh, oh, yeah, is that spelled the whole thing out? Furniture for oh, life. Oh, I see. I see. I see. Yeah. Okay. It just spelled the whole thing out. Okay. I was looking at the URL on my screen. I must have a, okay. Very good. Furnitureforlife.com. Um, why did you talk to me about the branding? What was the, what was the reason there? What was the move? Talk to me about that. In addition to developing massage chairs, we also developed recliners, uh, true zero gravity recliners. Okay. And, that, and those um, comprise a decent uh, proportion of our sales. Okay. And they're just they're super comfortable recliners, but outside of the massage space. Uh, and we also are the North American distributors for a Norwegian brand called Varier. Okay. A-R-I-E-R. And they are really famous for a kneeling chair design uh, that they created back in 1979. It's okay. it's one of the most iconic pieces of furniture on the planet. Um and, and so we needed a name. And then we had all these massage chair brands. And so we couldn't brand a, a store or a website, a store website with a massage chair brand and carry this broad selection. So we needed to come up with a name. So really we don't, we tend to not use furniture for life all by itself. We, we um, do it typically in a lockup as, as furniture for life, the world's best massage chairs. That is our core. Okay, um, but we have all this other product, like I just described, that kind of fills out the store. So massage chairs, zero gravity recliners, kneeling chairs, office chairs. Well, kneeling chairs are office chairs. Okay, and okay. and uh, and the Varier company has other chair designs that we also sell uh, here in the states. Okay, and, and that are office chairs as well. And didn't you didn't you play with uh, launching a bedline at one point? Is that still going, or you you moved away from that? Well, we are um, we are exploring sleep, and we continue to. Be, uh, the original uh, bedline we were doing, there were some actually manufacturing supply issues, so um, that had to sunset. Okay, we're in the process of evaluating what we're going to do in that in that eight hours of the day when you're sleeping. Cause we've got, you know, we've got the relaxation portion of your day covered mm-hmm. with office, with office seating, with the office seating that we have, we've actually got the work part of the day covered. Mm-hmm. We don't have the, the, the other eight hours that are left in your day. And, and we do want to be this kind of, I see. we want to offer a round the clock solution for people. I see. I see. You know, this all goes back to some of the stress you were talking 
talking about and how it ties to your health. We have one of your massage chairs here at the house and uh, it is such a wonderful thing to just decompress for a minute, relieve some stress and pain and help with pain and soreness. Um, I, I never, I'll put it this way. I never sit in my massage chair and get out of it and go, gosh, I wish I hadn't done that. <laughs> I mean, that's the best way to think about it. It really is. Uh, it's just healthy in so many ways, mentally, physically. I mean, uh, yeah, it's great. So I, I couldn't. Uh, I assume that sometimes you end up passed out in it, right? Yes. Oh, definitely. Often, you know, my wife's like you were snoring, you know? So yeah, it's, it's uh it's a, it's a wonderful thing. I I highly recommend anybody listening to uh, check it out, not just for stress, but for back pain and just all kinds of all kinds of things. Um what what has been and by the way, real quick before I ask you that, before I was going to say what's been the hardest challenge. How big is the company now? Do you want to talk to us about a, a number of employees or or anything? Yeah. Give it give us a Yeah. We've got uh, I think 43 employees right now. Okay, and based in Boulder. Um yeah. And you have um, this, you have a new, uh, I guess somewhat new path of going down dealer locations or licensed stores. What do you call them? And talk to me about that. Yeah. So we are, uh, we have a licensed store program and, and the licensed store program is for entrepreneurs around the country and in Canada that are interested in this space to open a furniture for life store. Okay. Uh, and with that comes a comes a uh, kind of a collection of support from us, uh, from merchandising support as it relates to floor models, from design support in terms of how the store looks. We offer real estate support, and then of course we are, offer ongoing training support for for any staff that that a licensed store owner hires. Mm-hmm. And uh, we started on this push maybe three years ago or so. And uh, today we have a few Furniture for Life stores and a bunch more galleries, which are also part of this license program. All told, I think we've got somewhere between 25 and 30 locations that are licensed locations around the country today. Mm, mm. And um, we're interested in in aggressively growing that. Um, It's a successful business model, um, healthy, you know, healthy four wall performance coming out of the licensed stores that we have today. And uh, we're looking to give territories, basically city metro areas to capable and interested people who think they can operate a a healthy retail business and, and also people who know how to give a crap about customers and know how to care for them and, and understand that massage um, can be a really, really beneficial uh, element to add to people's lives in the kind of world that we live in today. Okay. Are you following any certain model? Like, are you trying to follow like the Chick-fil-A franchise model or any certain, is there any model you're trying to follow necessarily, or you kind of came up with your own thing? Well, I, I don't think the business model itself is um, completely different than than other things out there. But I know the Chick-fil-A model has this kind of shared ownership approach yeah. to it. Right. In the case of our model, the owner is actually 100% the owner of the okay. location. Okay. And, and, and what happens is that, that, that they would sign a licensing agreement with us. 
And, uh, and that licensing agreement binds them to certain things and behaviors, and it binds us to certain things and behaviors. Okay. But most importantly, um, is the support that comes along, right? That we, we have this sort of marketing package that's ready. Mm -hmm. They don't have to worry about digital advertising. We'll take care of that. We'll set up a local website for them. We'll take care of that. Okay. Uh, We'll get them up to speed quickly on on Google My Business and and all that stuff. Okay, very good. And what's it cost to get into this thing? I know that's a that's a broad question, depending on the build out, the location, and a bunch of other things. But generally, can you just give the listeners a general idea, like, oh, I can get into this for what range would you want to pitch? <clears throat> there are no uh, territory fees or location fees. It's not a franchise, right? I think that's important. So the, so the cost to become a licensee is zero, okay? We, uh, the, the, the margins on the product are very, very healthy. Okay. Uh, and of course the product is a big ticket product. Okay. We throw back in the direction of um, licensees a co-op. So they get rebated a portion of their purchases to support local advertising. Today that's 4%. Okay. So it's actually, and there's no, there's no, there's no equivalent of a franchise fee. There's no so fee up front. No fee up front. No. So, so, so that co-op is essentially, I, I refer to it like as a reverse franchise. So once you, once you start buying from us, you're actually getting credits rebated to you as long as you're doing advertising. And we, and there's no percentage off the top on revenue like a normal franchise. Wow. No. No. And um, so the cost associated with it is the cost to build out the location. The location. Okay. And, and, and we've done the basic design and, and modifying the design to fit in a location is actually very inexpensive. Okay. But then a fit out would cost somewhere between, say, 150 and a quarter million dollars. Okay. All right. And then add another 50 thousand in initial inventory and is that initial, does that initial inventory have to be paid for up front before it arrives to the store can you give them some okay there's some we terms help. on that we help. okay we give, we give great terms so yeah we can actually probably set that aside that's a you, you make a good point steve mm -hmm. uh, and then uh landlords will frequently give a tenant allowance which you would then take away from the cost of building out the store. Mm -hmm. And then we actually offer support as well to build oh. the stores. Oh. So we, we chip away at that uh, over time. And okay. um, when all is said and done, it's probably between 100 and 150, let's call it 150, that the, that the licensee would be out of pocket for a store, which okay. if you compare that to a, any franchise model is yeah uh, that's great yeah i totally yeah. agree 100 150 grand to get into this thing let's just call it, let's just use that number for a minute 150 grand to get your store open and i don't have to pay any royalties on on revenue i don't have to pay any uh, uh percentage on revenue and i don't have to pay a, a fee up front there's right. no monthly there's no monthly marketing fee or some bullshit like that why okay why wouldn't you be interested in. I mean, <laughs> I'm, I'm surprised you don't have 10,000 people try, signing up for this thing every month trying to open up a store. Uh, well, hopefully after this, people will just <laughs> down our door. I uh, mean, I, I really think, I mean, just all joking aside, yeah. I think, I think there, 
are a lot of aspiring entrepreneurs that are former retailers mm-hmm. that would love to have their own store, but most of them think it's just impossible to get into it. They just they just think it's just way too much money and there's no way. I mean, this is an opportunity to to really do that. Can you can you make money on one location? Is this one of those deals where you know, like Subway, you got to own like three or four Subways before you can actually make money? Can you make a living on one location? Yeah, we have we have owners making a living on one location and doing quite well. The so I, let me here's here are the things that might slow people down. Right, number one, it is retail, so they have to be interested yeah. in retail. Yeah, and old retailers like you and me aren't necessarily always interested in getting back in and rolling up our sleeves and and being at a shopping mall from 10 o'clock in the morning to 10 o'clock at night, maybe 11 during holiday hours, right? Yeah, yeah. So so that could be at work a little bit. The other thing is um, our approach is to place these licensed locations inside the better malls in metro areas. Okay. So we're in Denver. Uh, The clearly the number one upscale mall in the Denver Metro market is Cherry Creek. Right. So, so we would, we would want, we would guide licensees to Cherry Creek. And indeed we are looking in Cherry Creek to do a corporate store because we, we need to do at least one corporate store um, as a showcase. And you ask, you ask why aren't people break knocking down our doors? Part of it is that we need to do a corporate store and, and uh, set one of those up right next to our home. And I, I, I think we need a showcase like that. Uh, but so so, the, so you have to sign a lease. And if it's a lease in, in a nicer mall with one of these national developers that operates these places, there's risk associated with that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, people okay. have to, people financially have to be able to manage that risk and, and malls have to be willing to accept them as a, as a tenant. Yep. You know, you know, you've really just, uh, it's really impressive. You know, you, you, you start out as a distributor and then you're like, "Ah, you know what, we're going to make our own product and, and then we're going to rebrand and then we're going to actually build our own retail stores and, and have a place to get those sold properly in a nice location. I mean, you just did the whole full, full circle, Uh, uh, which I think is great. By the way, consumers can still buy direct. You do direct to consumer online and they can buy from your website. Correct. Yeah, furnitureforlife.com is the e-com site. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, very good. What, what's what been the scariest? How many years have you been doing this? How many? When did you start it? 16. 16. 16. What's, the, what's been the scariest moment so far? And I know you've had a ton, but if you had to pick one you want to share, what's what's been the scariest moment for you? Well, it's a stock answer, I think, at this point, which was, you know, the first like six or seven weeks of deep pandemic where everything just froze. Mm -hmm. Nobody was buying anything. All the stores were, all our dealers were closed. All our stores were closed. Um, Our bank was getting nervous and they were breathing down our necks. Mm -hmm. Uh, And um, nobody knew, you know, nobody could have imagined that when all was said and done, the pandemic would be a boon for people in the furniture space. Mm-hmm. Never would have predicted that. From that yeah. super, super low, frightening, didn't sleep very much at night moment to oh, people are buying, people are dropping ten thousand our popular ten thousand dollar massage chair into carts at a higher rate than we've ever seen before. That was shocking when it started to happen, and it continued for quite some time. 
Wow. Now I know and relationship wise, personally, I hope you don't mind sharing. You um you're not married right now, but you were and you you went through a you went through a, a divorce when you were when you had a business, which is always tough for business owners. Um, um I'm guessing that's probably right behind COVID as one of your one of your darkest moments <laughs> somewhere in there. Uh, yeah, thanks for bringing that up, Steve. <laughs> the uh the PTSD had almost worn off totally. Uh, yeah, that was that was a really tough time. I'm sure I'm not alone right in this space. Divorce, forget about whether you have a business or not. Divorce just sucks no matter how you slice it. Um, and But in the case where you have a small private company, it can get very, very messy. And, and it did get messy. And, and, uh, and I'm glad that that is long, long behind me. <laughs> you, you ever going to... You ever going to get married again? You think? It's a good question. I mean, I think, uh, I think, I think being with somebody uh, for for a long term is 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 definitely. I hope in my cards, uh, getting married is not a, a necessity to me. I feel like I've I feel like I've been on I feel like I've been on that ride, mm -hmm. and um, maybe it'll happen. But you know. You know, it's, 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 I find it, it's pretty fascinating. I do think most men do want a long-term relationship with a really good, good person they enjoy being around. Most of us do, right? I mean, you know, you, the, the Hollywood mentality of, oh, I'm going to have a different girlfriend every weekend and it's going to be party time. It's going to be that, 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 that gets old, <laughs> that gets old. <laughs> Yeah, you, you know, I think I think most of us do want that. Uh, yeah, you'll, you'll another one will come along for sure. Uh, you'll just have to make sure you do a prenup, or you're like, yeah, you don't you don't get half the business when you when you sign on. There's none of that. It's, it, it was. I thought this was kind of a romantic string of questions until <laughs> until you got to the prenup piece. <laughs> what busy. do you What do you? Okay, so you're a single guy now, but you're running a very successful business. Uh, what are you doing to to make sure you have work life balance? What are you What are you doing to make sure you're not working seventy hours a week? And what advice would you give to other entrepreneurs? Uh, have friends, have things you enjoy to do outside of work. Uh, you know, get outside. In, in, in Colorado, get outside for crying out loud because it's it's right. just it's it's affirming to get out into the big sky. And to, and to climb, clamor around on some rocks. Uh, I like to, I like to read and I don't do enough of that. And, and when I do dive into some reading, I, I remind myself of how much pleasure I can derive out of that. So I go through these moments where I, I don't get off my computer and I don't read and I have the bad habit of going to sleep, you know, with my computer, like reading news or something like that. Terrible. It's terrible. Yeah. And then I'll shift and, and I'll and I'll have a book that I want to read. And then I'll climb into bed and I'll start to read that book. I'm like, oh, wait, this is just so much better. Why don't I do this every night? And then somehow I forget that I like that so much at some point. And then I go back to the bad habits and I just go back and forth between those things. You mentioned being outside in Colorado. Uh, you know, you've been all over the world. You've traveled. I don't even know. You've, I don't think you've been to every country, but you've been all over the place uh, many times. Why Colorado for you? Why, why is Colorado so so awesome compared to 
all these other places you've been to? Well, Colorado is one of those places where um, when I was traveling here, because I had to come here a number of times for work, uh, th there were a few places on this planet where consistently I would get off an airplane and the air would hit me in the face. I go, wow, the sun feels good. The air is just extraordinary here. Uh, and then, of course, there are places that are the opposite of that. I, I like <laughs> <laughs> You get off the plane in in, in like in, in a place like uh, southern China somewhere. Your first response isn't "Wow, the air really feels good." It's more like "Wow, I feel like I just walked right into a factory and it's and it's acrid and hot and humid." But, but you know, Colorado air felt so wonderful, and it yeah. immediately changed my mood. And I would feel that way too when I land in places like San Jose or Seattle many times, Portland. And um, I never thought I would live in one of those places where the air felt like that. Mm. I don't know why. I thought it was, I, I guess I was more leaning toward the East Coast. That's, I got relatives. I grew up there. I mean, I spent more time there. So I just thought I would stay East. And all this West stuff was, you know, for the pot smoking hippies. <laughs> and, and for those moments when I was lucky enough to get there and I could feel that air and sunshine in my face. Um, so I came here because it was before I was before I was married, but I came here for that girl and uh, took me I a couple of years and it sunk in I that I really love this place. I got and, you. You know, if you live, if you got a house and you can see the ocean, I guarantee you waking up every morning and looking at the ocean never gets old, even if it's the same thing every day. And I feel exactly the same way about the flat irons here in Boulder. Um, I get up in the morning and no matter when I see those mountains, they're always spectacular. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yep. I, I, I agree. If, uh, is there anything from a country you've been to that you, you would implement here if you could like a policy or a practice or a, a law or a food or a tradition or whatever, is there something you would be like, oh man, if I could bring that particular thing over here, what would that be? Because you've seen you've seen a lot in different countries. Oh, that's so that's a long list. But um, I, I think in general, if I had to pick one thing, um, Americans compared to most other people in the world are really really focused on um, individuals and individual rights and my individual right at this point to say anything I damn well please and to do anything I damn well please. And it's clear, you know, based on where things have gone here, that if everybody is doing precisely what they please, um, number one, that's what that's what three-year-olds do when they steal toys from each other. It's like, that's what I want. And I don't care what you want. <laughs> and it doesn't work to run, to organize a whole country, a whole team, you know, team USA. Mm. And, and so you see in a lot of other countries, more of a balance or more of a tilt toward, you know, what's good for the community. And the real magic is when those two things meet in the right place right mm. i'm not mm. suggesting that the us should abandon individualism because i think it's kind of the engine or part of the engine that drives people in our country uh but 
if you if you are if you are an absolute individualist and you're willing to abandon all else, all other team play, uh, you got you're not going to create anything great doing that. Is social media causing that? I mean, do you do, do you think social media ha- has driven that attitude of me 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 individualism instead of the team spirit? I don't I don't know. Um, so one way I sort of, I describe social media is that um, uh, every every idiot has their community on social media. I don't care what you believe. The world of social media is big enough that you can find other people yeah, who right. believe that. Right? <laughs> I I you know I like um, licking every toad that I see that I come across, you'll find, you'll find a club for that. Somewhere. Yeah, you probably, there's somebody, right. somebody's out there. <laughs> right. And, and, and that doesn't, uh, and, and without the filter, without people thinking about what they're doing and adding to that, the sense that no matter what I think I can find other people who think like me does, I think, feed that individual sense of mm. self-righteousness. Mm, mm, you know? mm. Mm. Uh, you know, if you, I don't like what you say to me, uh-huh. well, to hell with you. I can just go find somebody who does like everything that I'm saying. And yeah. that you just sort of abandon the need to actually engage and talk to your neighbor because you've got all these other social media neighbors thousands of miles away that make you feel great. You have been somewhat careful with your own social media. I noticed you're, you're, you're not a social media hound by any means because you're busy running your company. Um, You're on social media, but you're not blasting away. You're not commenting a lot. You're not like out there taking a position or a side on every single thing that comes up. Um, Is that by design? Uh, Are you, are you purposely staying away from that? And two part question. Do you think CEOs should be going online, taking sides on every single hot topic that pops up? I um, so the, so the other thing that happens when everybody is an expert in the social media space is that the experts lose a voice, Ooh. and you know there there really are climate experts, there really are nuclear experts, there really are um, experts on diplomacy and war, and there really are historians that have a pretty good grasp of the historical record, and and can and can process things through that filter. Um, better than people who are ignorant of any of those things. So um, that's a very, very long, and, and and I also notice like in our country, and it's not just us, it's, it's other places too. We ask like, people like our athletes to be social models. Yeah. Uh, there's nothing about being really fast on hockey skates or really good at hitting home runs <laughs> that makes you... Uh, particularly moral, ethical, insightful teacher to other people, other than maybe how to play baseball or hockey. Right. And and so we we lay the and and so when our athletes or our movie stars or our pop singers screw up, we just lay into them like like as if those are the people we should be turning to for understanding how to you know how to love each other and be together. Right. It makes no sense to me at all. <laughs> and, and, and I think social media amplifies that. So should CEOs be having an opinion? If they're experts in an area, 
I think it's healthy to have an opinion. You know, I, I, I think if, if you have a CEO that's working in, in the uh, renewable energy space. Yeah, there you go. They got an opinion and, 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 and they've studied it and um, they share it as long as everybody understands that what the CEO is saying may be self-serving. That's the filter, right? That we as consumers should have. Uh, it's fine. But if that, same, if that same CEO for nuclear energy goes on and says, this is what I think about abortion, and this is what our company believes on abortion, now, he, now he's stepping way way over here on this topic he's not an expert at. <laughs> he has every right, he or she has every right to do that. Um, and uh, everybody has their right to their opinion on that particular uh, topic. Uh, but um, I, I guess I would say that if it were a thoughtful position, I'd be interested in hearing about it. If it's just, if it's just, you know, I'm going to throw a grenade. Yeah. Yes. And there's lots of people, and lots of people that do that, throw grenades. Of course. <laughs> it's too, it's real easy to do that because there's that anonymity. Super easy. Super it's easy. That anonymity piece too, right? Yes, yes. yes. There are multiple psychology, human psychology experiments done where if you, if you ask a subject of the test, to inflict pain on somebody that is invisible to them, it's much easier for them yep. to do. Yeah, yeah. If you actually have to punch somebody in the face, it's a lot harder to do it. Well, um, isn't it? Have you heard that Mike Tyson line? Uh, I can't. I'm not going to quote it perfectly, but it's something like Mike Tyson said something like, "Social media has allowed us to to uh, be an asshole to each other without wor being worried about getting punched in the face." <laughs> certainly, some of it. Yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't always agree with things Mike Tyson says. Right, yeah, no doubt. That, that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of throwing grenades on social media and stuff uh, and being that you, you said everybody's got a right to, you know, say whatever they want. I'm going to ask you this. This is an interesting topic. Um, what if you go on, what if, what if the CEO goes on social media, the CEO goes on social media and takes, takes a stand on something and that doesn't fit the narrative of that particular platform and they cancel that social media, so that, that CEO and take him off the platform. Is that cool? Or what, what are your thoughts on that? Um, so first of all, everybody has a right to say what they want to say. It doesn't mean that everybody should say what they want to say. Okay? And you learn that at a very young age. You just can't blurt out everything that goes bouncing around in your head. Back to the filter thing. That there's a filter, and 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 that filter is important in order to maintain a society. So, in a place where everybody thinks they have the absolute right to say absolutely anything they want, that's a that's a shit show. That's that is not what I'm suggesting. You have the right, but you along with that right comes an obligation to have comes a responsibility. So that's a great that's a great answer. You're giving me a great answer. So. So that's that, okay. So, so the answer is should Twitter, should let me be more direct. Yeah. Should Twitter and Google and YouTube and Facebook just be able to turn anybody off anytime they want? Um, the answer is they're private companies, they can do whatever the hell they want. And, and we should not confuse uh, censorship with a private company making a private company decision, right? What do you censorship. what do you mean? That's a good one. Dive into that just for a minute. What I mean is that censorship definitionally is what governments do. If governments censor, if governments um, restrict speech, uh, then there's an argument that can be made that it's censorship. But if a private company does it, 
Okay. One last question on that. One last question on that. I know we're getting over on our time here. One last question on that. So if the government, any administration, I'm not picking on any, I'm not picking on any specific administration. If an administration called Twitter and said, Hey, why is this guy? Why is this guy still on your platform? Like we'd prefer you cancel this guy. Now we're edging close to censorship. Was that accurate? If, uh, first of all, that would be a really bad thing for a government official to do. Now that's separate than, than the government um, imposing regulations on the industry. And one could argue if those reg regulations limit speech and the expression of speech, that those would be censorship or would approach censorship. That's a debate that can be had. Mm -hmm. um, the, but, but the flip side of that, now the government doesn't need to discuss censorship as a real, this is my opinion and it's not an expert opinion. So everybody can stop watching right now. If, <laughs> Because yeah, I'll turn my filter off for a second. In, in, in my opinion, the, the social media platforms today have a free ride in terms of liability. And if they didn't have the free ride in terms of liability, in other words, if they could be uh, if they could be accused, if they if they were the defendant to a plaintiff who said, hey, these postings on Facebook radicalized this 18-year-old. This 18-year-old went out and bought an AR and they shot up my school. And it was because of what they were doing on Facebook and Facebook had to defend itself in court. That's legal liability for actions of a company that Facebook should be tried for. Uh, but they can't be under the way current US law works. They're cloaked I forget what the section of law is. But yeah, I know. I know what you're talking about. I forgot, I, yeah, yeah, I know what you're talking about. I forgot. I, I forgot what that is too. So, I, th I think that's being challenged right now. But yeah, I understand what you're uh, saying. Yeah, although it's. I, I mean, I I think the the online forces are pretty powerfully arrayed against politicians who want to <laughs> place. Um, not nothing special because right now the social media companies get special treatment. They're yeah. protected in the way that Ford when they build automobiles, is not protected. Mm -hmm. They're protected in a way where if our massage chair hurt somebody, mm -hmm. we would end, We could potentially end up in court. Yeah. Um, do, do you think, uh, is the world more divisive and against each other now than it was in the 80s when we grew up? Or it, it's all the same, it just seems worse because social media blasts it in front of us every day? Oh, it's worse. We're at each other's throats. In the 1980s, you had the big bad... USSR, and I mean, things were changing around that time, but you had a common enemy to unite around. And, um, and, and you could sort of point at people outside your own country. Uh, I think that's a piece of it. I think another piece of it is um, we had no clear competitor in the global economic um, kind of thought, uh, economic or creative space. And now the United States definitely has an economic uh, competitor in the form of China, the number two economy today. Mm. And um, uh, I, I think when a superpower like the US, and it's not just a military superpower, an intellectual superpower, an economic superpower, a creative superpower, when the position of of our country gets challenged, that's a very um, destabilizing 
for us as Americans, you know, for me as an American, um, I, I, I'm very proud of the position that we have in the world. And, uh, but, but I'm fearful that it's at some risk. Mm. That's all the outside stuff. Then there's the inside stuff, which I think comes back a lot to social media where just people have lost touch. But the reality is on the screen and they have lost touch with real life, with real reality. It's true, right? It really, I, I totally believe that. Yes. I, you know, I'm fascinated at, at how people act online, but they would never act that way at the grocery store with somebody, at the tavern, uh, you know, at a family gathering. Uh, it, it amazes me. Yeah, yeah, I, I completely agree. Um, I know. Well, just two more questions. I know I'm keeping you over what our scheduled time was. I could talk but, to but you. I, but I mean, I think, that, but there is a risk where what's happening online yeah. is, is spilling over into real life. Agreed. You know, are talking about taking up arms and you see people taking up arms. Yeah. People, you know, some percentage of the population, millions of people are sort of anticipating a civil war. That's pretty messed up. That's it that's, is, it is right? Yeah. Seriously. Uh, what was it? The former, former CEO of Instagram or Twitter or whatever his name is. I uh, saw him on an interview, that Netflix documentary. And uh, he was, he was said something to the effect of uh, he's like, yeah, if it keeps going like this, social media could push us into some kind of civil war. Cause it just makes people angry all the time, yeah. you know, uh, you know, and I would just encourage any listeners out there like, don't, you don't, it is okay to have a conversation with somebody on any topic and disagree and have a friendly conversation and then have a beer together. It's okay. It's okay. Like, why can't we do that? I don't understand why we, there's all this hate going on. You know, yeah. me and you, me and you are a great example, right? Like we're really good friends. We've known each other for a long time. We have a lot in common. We don't agree on every social or political or, or financial topic. And we have good conversations about it, but we don't like hate on each other. And I don't know why people have to do that. Like, it, I just now I'm ranting for a set for a second, but for anybody listening, like, look, if you like purple and I like yellow and you think purple is the greatest color of all time. And I think yellow is good. That that's cool. We can talk about it. We can still be friends. <laughs> yeah, but, but then when you interject, when you interject social media and you have a purple group and a yellow group, it, it actually, you get pulled in your purple direction pulled, yes. and my yellow direction. Yes. And, and I, and I start and I end up kind of being fed all this, Yes, that convinces me of of again the righteousness of my position on my color, and it's still because that is the way you know we work things out in this country by arguing, and we work things out by voting, and uh, we don't work things out staring down the barrel of a gun. We don't work things out by screaming and yelling at each other. Screaming, yes. We and and we also don't work things out by living in fantasy land. You know, we got to talk. About, yeah. We got we got a problem. What's the problem? The problem is X. Well, let's let's talk to people who know something about X. Let's get all the issues on the table. Let's try and figure it out. And it and that's all. That all sounds nice and sweet, and it's never been quite that nice and sweet even before social media. But now it's gotten to the point where yep. we can't even make any progress on discussing and discussing and debating issues. It seems. I, right. Yeah, it, exactly. Um, see, you should have been a, you, you probably should have been a diplomat of some kind. You probably should have gone into politics. Matter of fact, you should run for some council thing in Boulder. <laughs> I, 
Uh, yeah, well, we, you know, so part of the reason why I, I wanted to start my own company is because um, it, there are definitely downsides to being the boss. You know that. Oh, right? yeah. Me listening to to be boss. It's like it, it comes with um, some benefits and it comes with some real downsides. Uh, and and the downside list is potentially longer than the than the benefits list. <laughs> but one of the benefits is that you don't have to listen to every single voice. <laughs> and you can't. You, you, the company would crumble if you if you had to if you had to reach consensus on everything. And, and yep. we're really clear in our, in our company culture. It's like, you know. It'd be nice if we all agreed all the time, but consensus is not a necessary element uh, for moving forward and making progress in business. Yeah. yeah, great point. Yeah, really great point. If you, um, two final questions, if you could change anything right now, like if you could, if you had the power to change something right now that we're doing as a country, well, I don't know, eliminate social media or what, I'm just on that after as an example. I mean, if you could do anything you wanted and wave a magic wand, what would you do? Yeah, well, I would blow up social media right away. I would. Uh, yeah. Or, or I mean, I do think that the one practical thing would be to to remove uh, the protection that social media, you know, the very practical political thing, although I don't think it's politically viable, would be to just say social media companies, you're just a company like every other company. You're responsible for your actions and activities. And if people want to take you to court, because they think you led to injuries or death or damage, they can do that. And I think that would immediately change the tune of the social media companies and have them kind of rein in what their algorithms do, which is get wedges in there. Could they, they recognize wedge issues and then just crowbar the thing open so wide. Yeah. <laughs> yes, absolutely. I thought you were going to say something about eliminate fast food or or, or eliminate some of the shitty ass food we're eating as a country. <laughs> People would feel better. Uh, but I, I think, um, yeah, that's, I, I think that's costly to us, right? Um, I, I'm, I, somebody said, I, I don't know who it was, um, and it makes absolutely no sense in English, but I, I, I thought it was a good quote. They said, um, nothing tastes, it makes no sense, okay? It's, so you have to treat it as poetry, not really okay. prose. All right. Nothing tastes as good as good health feels. You know, it's, I, I tell you, so many people wake up every day feeling okay and decent health, and we just take it for granted. I mean, you take it for granted every single day. If you're listening to this episode right now and you're not in pain and you're breathing air and you have food, water, and shelter, <laughs> be grateful. I mean, seriously. We take that for granted. I, and I feel so bad for people that are in pain and your products, by the way, going back to your products and, and what you sell uh, can, can help people with that. That's one of the things, by the way, if I had a magic wand, one of the things on the top of my list would be to somehow eliminate the, the pain part of your brain that, that recognizes pain. Cause I really feel, feel for people uh, that, that are in pain all the time. So if you are, you need to order one of Cliff's massage chairs. Sure. Uh, yeah. Last question. What What's your core purpose in life right now? If you had to define it in a sentence or two, kind of, you know, at this stage, at this age, what's your go forward kind of purpose in life? Uh, I want to, I want to um, feel like I've helped people. Uh, and, and, um, 
you know, some of the reason for wanting to start a company was to, to help people grow professionally and um, to try and create a culture that people were interested in being part of. And, and because I know that there's, because I was parts, I was a part of other cultures and I derived a lot of pleasure and satisfaction from that. So, and I don't, and I don't successfully do it all the time, but I would like to create an environment and atmosphere like that. And then I, I, you know, I, I always feel good. And I think most human beings feel good when, when they're giving. Yes. You know, I, I want to be, I, I frequently say to myself, I want to be successful so I can comfortably continue to give. Yeah. I agree, my friend, by the way, you've given a lot to me just so the listeners know you've, you helped us from the very beginning when we were starting recruiting from Rider Flex. You've been such a wonderful advisor and friend, and you've been there to help me many times when I called and said, Hey man, what, what do I do about this? What do I do about that? <laughs> so, so thank you. Appreciate oh, Cliff. Cliff, yeah. congratulations on everything to you and your team at, at Furniture for Life. Uh, appreciate you coming back on the show and, and sharing your story. Thanks, Steve. If if uh, if if people are interested, which I would be shocked to learn if that were the case, I'll do this again. But I have a feeling this might be my last episode. I don't know. I need to get you <laughs> back. We got to go deeper on some of the social stuff. I think it'd be interesting. I appreciate it, buddy. Thank you. All right. Thanks. See ya.